In Our Place. That's the new series we're starting today. You know, I had a great conversation with one of my neighbors recently, and I pray for my neighbors all the time that they would come to know Jesus in a life-changing uh, way. And, and one of these neighbors was going through a tough spot, so I purposely went outside so I could talk with him, like, good opportunity. And he brought up this. He said, you know, Matt, he brought up his theology. He said, Matt, for me, God is this. And it was something a little weird, right? Something a little out there. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone. Maybe you've said it to God to me is this. I've had that with another neighbor recently as well. God to me is this. And it's always something that's like this amoebus force out there. There's this thing that's like in there and between us and out there. And it's always a God that's like this other out there thing. That, that maybe he's the creator. Maybe he is coming and that you can feel him at certain times. Maybe when you're on a mountaintop for people. But but God, in, in most people's mindsets and religions, is that he's out there. But in the Bible, and in our faith, God came down. He walked among us. He lived among us. He took on flesh. He was a human being. And he wasn't like some Superman who's totally different and completely other than us. He was just like us in every respect. And he was sad. He was, at times, lonely. He suffered. He struggled. And that's amazing because we have a God who knows exactly what it's like to go through what we go through. That's our God, and his name is Jesus. And so in this series, over the next five weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus came down. What we're focusing on in this series is the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. In the previous series, Flipping Tables, we looked at the last week of Jesus' life, how he was teaching publicly. But now, this last 24 hours is so critical. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at how he came to live, to suffer, and to die in our place. And it's going to be so good that I want you to experience it. So I'm saying this. Even if you're brand new, you're checking us out online for the first time, you stumbled upon this, someone shared it with you, I want you to commit to coming to all five of the weeks in this series. Okay, You can do that, right? Even if you're like, I'm not sure, I don't think I'm a believer in Jesus, that's fine. Just commit to these five weeks. If you know you're going to be traveling one of those weeks, that's okay too. You can subscribe on YouTube or on our, any podcast app. You can find the audio of our messages as well. I don't want you to miss these messages because these last 24 hours of Jesus' life are so crucial that it, com- that, that it presents a different picture of God than any other religion in the world. It's a God who came down for us and lived and died in our place. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, a couple other things. That, that five-week series is going to be building up to something. Do you know what's happening? What, what is it? Easter, that's right. David mentioned Resurrection Sunday Easter. Easter is a huge deal for us. We see that people who are completely like opposed to Christianity for one day will come to church if we invite them. Our friends, our family, our coworkers, our enemies, we need to invite them to church on Easter Sunday. We see sometimes two and a half times as many people on a normal Sunday that come on Easter Sunday which this year is April 17th. So I'm telling you guys that right now. Start inviting. Start thinking of who you're going to invite. Every single one of us is going to invite at least one person to this. And we have three service times because we're not all going to fit in our two services. Um, Hopefully we won't all fit in three. We'll just pack them in. Forget about fire code. Don't tell anybody, okay? We'll get them in. We got overlooking. We'll be fine, right? But we have three service times, 8 a.m., so an early service, I know you guys aren't the early people, but if you can, come to the 8 a.m. because it actually frees up the more popular service times, okay? Do it for Jesus, okay? Get up early for Jesus, one day a year, okay? You can do it, 8 a.m. Um, and then we also have the 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. because between the second and third service, we're gonna do a 
egg hunt for the kids in the backyard. And it's going to be an awesome, fun thing. You can invite people to come to that, like come after the service and then stay for the next, or, or come to the service and come after. It's going to be awesome. So make sure you guys are doing that and inviting your friends on Facebook, on Instagram, on in-person. Remember the, that in-person thing? Uh, we'll do all of those ways to invite. Um, and that brings us to our next thing is parking. Our parking lot is very tiny. It's not even half the size of what we need for our church. And we've been starting to see it fill up in the month of February. And so what we're asking people to do, we have this great partnership with Montessori, the school down the street, Montessori Children's House, and they are letting us use their parking lot. Yes, it's the closest parking lot we can use. There's an additional 30 spots that we can do that. So if you can, get here early and park there. Can you do that for Jesus? And a four-minute walk could change someone's forever. That's a good line, right? Four-minute walk, that's all it takes. And we are working on getting a golf cart, one of those big eight-passenger ones. So you won't even have to walk the four minutes pretty soon, which is going to be great. We have, um, that's going to cost almost $10,000 to get that. So if you can give, give to the building fund. That will go towards that. We have 1000 given right now, but we need another 9000 So it, we, hopefully we can have that in place by Easter. And also we need a parking team. And what that includes is driving that golf cart, okay? Who wants to drive the golf cart, right? Yes, I see some hands. If you want to drive the golf cart, I do, but I, I got a job on Sunday mornings, right? But if you are interested in that and being part of our parking team to help people follow Jesus, go to risedenver.com slash parking because we need to start building up that team. So hopefully it's up and running totally by Easter Sunday. And we can be ready for that. So those are the things that are coming up. But today we are kicking off our new series, In Our Place, and uh, today, we are going to look at the Last Supper, this final meal that Jesus had with his disciples. Now, a lot of us are familiar with this. Even if you didn't go up in church, grow up in church, you'd be like, okay, I've seen this. Some people call it communion, right? You call it the, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, the Eucharist, depending on your tradition. You've taken it, but I don't, and most of us are used to it. Okay, that's what people have been doing 2,000 years, but I don't know if you knew this, but it's actually a meal that had been practiced a thousand years before that called the Passover feast. And Jesus was very eager in the passage we're going to look at today. It's Luke chapter 22. We're going to do this a little different. We're not going to have scripture up on the screen today, but you can follow along if you want in your Bibles or smartphone, Luke 22, one through 23. And Jesus was very eager to experience this meal, have this last meal in this last 24 hours with his disciples. His followers he loved, he, he was so eager to have this particular meal together. It was the Passover, and there was a whole week-long feast. It was like a whole you know, national celebration for the next week. And Jesus was eager to take this meal together because they all knew this meal, but he was going to take it and said, hey, remember all that stuff in the past? It's now having new meaning in me. New meaning in me. And that's what we're going to see today. So in this message today, we're going to learn five different ways that this meal is fulfilled in Jesus and, and what he did for us because Jesus suffered for us. Jesus suffered for us. So at the meal, some of you have, have done this. Has anybody done a Seder meal before or a Passover meal? We have some hands. Some of you maybe have some Jewish friends or family or grew up Jewish or maybe um, you've even taken a Seder meal. A lot of churches will practice this. I, I, I had one in my church when I was in high school. But in the Passover meal, it was very traditional. They had been doing the same thing every single year, and, and a lot of Jews and Messianic Jews who believe in Jesus Christ continue to practice this to this day. And it would have started, they would have drank four different glasses of wine. So we have every reason to, to think that the meal would have started just like any other Passover meal that they had done for quite a while, and they would have poured that first cup 
And, and we know that this is just the practice. Jesus was eager to practice this, so he likely would have just taken that first cup and drink it. I'm not going to drink the whole thing, okay? Two services. No, it's not wine either, but man, I'd be sloshed, right? Two services, four glasses. Woo! Not going to do that. But he would have taken that first cup, and since Jesus was their spiritual leader, their teacher, and in some families it would be the father who did this, but what they would do is they'd take that first cup, and then they would explain why they're practicing this Passover feast. So Jesus would have told them about the first Passover, when God's people were in slavery in Egypt. And they were crying out to God. After hundreds of years of slavery, they were crying out to God, groaning and saying, God, rescue us, save us, help us. And God heard them and sent Moses to set his people free. And Moses performed these incredible miracles, these 10 different plagues on Egypt because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, wouldn't let God's people go. So there were flies, there were gnats, there were frogs, there was blood in the water. Okay, incredible plagues, right? One after another, after another, and still Pharaoh had his heart hardened, and he said, no, I'm not going to let those people go. They're my workers. I need my slaves. So finally, God broke out the big guns. And he said, since Pharaoh hasn't listened and has oppressed my people, I will kill every single firstborn son in all of Egypt. That'll get his attention. But because God loved his people who were in Egypt, he gave them a special way to save their firstborn sons. He told them to go and sacrifice a lamb, to kill a lamb, and then they would take the, lamb, the blood from this lamb, and they would wash it over their doorpost. They basically paint the top of their doorpost so that when the angel of death came that night, he would pass over the homes of those who had put their trust in, in God. And that's what happened. The angel of death came and killed every single firstborn son in all of Egypt. Pharaoh's firstborn son. But God's people all were spared because they had that animal sacrificed. And the blood spread over the doorpost. And then Pharaoh finally said, leave, get out of here. And that's when God's people escaped Egypt and entered into freedom and then eventually into the promised land. This was such a pivotal moment in Israel's history that they were told to practice that meal to have a Passover meal, to sacrifice a lamb, and to eat unleavened bread because they didn't have time to let the bread rise with the yeast. And you would remember that what God had done in the past every single year. So there'd be the Passover feast, a meal that they would share, and then for the next week, it would be the feast of unleavened bread. Whole party, a national party, everybody's doing this thing together. So Jesus would have told that story on that last night of his life after he had taken the first cup. And then he would have poured the second cup. And as he gave thanks, he would have taken the second cup. And they would have started the meal. So in this meal, we're going to see five different elements. That Jesus is saying these are so important, and he's making them now about himself. And the first one is one that you might not know about. It's the bitter herbs, because Jesus wanted to teach us that Jesus experienced bitterness for us. Jesus experienced bitterness for us. This is actually prescribed in the book of Exodus, that when they take their meal, there will be bitter herbs. They don't taste good, right? You get a bitterness in your mouth as you take these herbs because it represented the bitterness that God's people had experienced in slavery. 
They were bitter. They were angry. Things were hard. Their life was difficult. So you needed to taste the bitterness to remember what had happened in the past. But Jesus at this meal, and he's very clear to prepare the Passover. He, he was like, I, I eagerly want this to happen. I, this is important for us to take this meal together. So those bitter herbs would have been present at that meal. And I think it's because Jesus was experiencing bitterness that night, just before the meal. We read in Luke chapter 22 that Judas, one of Jesus' top 12 disciples, he had handpicked these guys, spent three years with them, walking together, teaching, living life together. They were on the road together. I mean, these guys are close. Judas sold Jesus out. He knew that the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus, and he said, okay, that's fine. We'll arrange a time where there's not the crowd so we don't have to you know, fight a battle. We'll, we'll do it in secret, but Judas was the one who sold him out. And that had happened right before the meal. Even at the meal, at the very end of it, Jesus knew this was happening because he said, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. The betrayer is here. Jesus knew. Can you imagine the bitterness he was experiencing? Has anyone in here ever been betrayed by a friend? It sucks. When, when I've experienced it, like, I look back and I'm like, was this all fake? I thought we were friends. I thought we were close. And then all of a sudden, like that, everything changes. How could you do that to me? Especially another believer. How could someone do that to me? That's so awful. And yet when we have friends that betray us, it hurts. It makes us bitter. Because when those things happen, we want to get them back, don't we? Because of what you've done to me, this is what I'm going to do. Since you try to ruin my reputation, I'm going to ruin yours. I know some things about you, right? I'm going to post these anonymously on Twitter. No one will know it's me. We want to hurt the person as much as they've hurt us. Because we become angry, we become vengeful, we become bitter. And we sometimes even wonder, well, can I even have any good friends again? We close off our hearts because of the bitterness. Sometimes it's even worse than a friend. Some of you have experienced betrayal and being hurt by your family members, even a parent. Some of you have experienced it by a significant other. To be cheated on, that's a bitterness. Can I ever have a relationship again? And that bitterness can get deep into our soul, and it was a bitterness that Jesus experienced that night. So as they started that meal with the bitter herbs, Jesus knew that he was experiencing bitterness for us. Because we all go through this bitterness, and guess what? Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Have you ever told somebody about maybe your bitterness, your anger, and you're like, they don't get it. <laughs> they have no idea what I experience, right? Jesus gets you. Jesus understands. He knows exactly what it's like to experience that bitterness, to be stabbed in the back, to be hurt like that. And Jesus cares for you. It says in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus is able to empathize with our weakness. Because he experienced it himself. He has a heart of compassion for you. And you're hurt. Some of you are bitter right now and angry right now. Jesus gets you. And he loves you. Because he experienced the bitterness for you. For you. And that's the first element of this Passover feast. 
but it would have led to the second one, the most important, the main course, the Passover lamb. And what we learn from this is that Jesus was sacrificed for us. Jesus was sacrificed for us. Jesus, before the meal, had set Peter and John, his like top two disciples. Okay, go ahead, and you're going to find this guy carrying a water jar, and when you see him, go follow him, because he has a room big enough in his house to host our uh, Last Supper, that we can take this meal, this Passover feast together. But he also told them to go prepare the feast, and what they would have had to do is find a lamb. And they would have found that young lamb, and they would have taken the lamb to the temple that day to have it slaughtered and sacrificed for them. And they would have taken the meat home, cooked it up on, you know, on their green egg. Right? I don't know what they cooked it on. And they would have shared that meal together. The sacrificial lamb. And a sacrifice had to be made because people had committed sin. They were sinful. They had done wrong things. And someone has to pay the consequences when something wrong happens. We say in our culture, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, because there is a consequence for our sin. If we commit a crime, literally, you have to pay a fine, you have to community service or go to prison or whatever it is. There's a consequence for the bad things we do. And that's how it is with sin against God. And God has said there has to be consequences. Someone has to pay the penalty. And you can have an animal being sacrificed in your place to pay your penalty. But when Jesus took the Passover feast, he was very purposeful in, in saying that, that we're, we're doing this because I am about to suffer. See, Jesus was saying, I am the Passover lamb. Literally, it says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Jesus became that Passover lamb. He knew that he would have to suffer and be killed as a final sacrifice, once and for all. So when we sin, when we do something wrong, and we deserve a punishment for those things, Jesus was setting himself up to be that lamb, slaughtered on the cross. Slaughtered on the cross. And it was going to be he himself. And then that's why after they had, had that lamb, he, he took the bread. Now, if you've noticed up to this point in the meal, if, if you've ever done a Seder meal, everything up to this point has been standard. It's been normal tradition, okay? They, they took the first cup, they tell the story of Egypt, they would have taken the second cup, then they had the bitter herbs, the lamb. All this is normal up to this point. Nothing has changed. But then Jesus takes the, the bread, and, and if you're following along, this happens in, in verse 19. Because Jesus takes the bread... And what would have been normal for the father, for the, the leader, the spiritual leader, was to take this bread. And they have the same standard words that they'd use every single year for a thousand years, okay? The same thing. And what they would have said is, this is the bread of affliction from our time of slavery in Egypt. This is the bread of affliction. It's the same words. And you would have known this because this was a normal, regular holiday. Everyone in the nation celebrated. And they all knew these words. It's almost like us around Christmas, our holiday, right? "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring." We all know the words, right? From some silly poem, because we say it every year. We hear it every year. So they would have heard these words, and they would have been expecting Jesus, as he takes the bread, to say, this is the bread of affliction. But he doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? 
this is my body given for you. Whoa. This would, they would all have been like, what? What? Like, we, we've heard this again and again and again our whole lives, and you're saying something different, Jesus? Because he's making all this about himself now. All of Israel's history is leading up to this moment. And Jesus is saying, no longer are we looking to the past with what God did at the Exodus. He's saying it's about me and what I'm going to do this very night. And that's why he takes the, bo- the bread and says, this is my body. But we're going to learn third is that Jesus was broken for us. He broke that bread, showing that his body would be broken on the cross. That he would be beaten, he'd be whipped, he'd be uh, put a, a heavy cross on his shoulders, forced to carry it, and he was too weak because his body had so broken down from the beating. And then they still nailed him up to, his cro- to a cross for his body to be completely broken there in the hot sun. Jesus was broken for us. He suffered for us. And when we too experience brokenness, we know that he did it first. That when we have the brokenness of financial brokenness, when we experience physical brokenness in our body and and suffer and cancer, when we have emotional, spiritual, and mental turmoil, if you've seen that right now um, anxiety levels are at an all-time high in America, people are suffering right now. They're feeling broken. But Jesus was broken for you to help you and redeem you in the brokenness you're feeling right now. He came down in our place. He knows what that's like. He wants you to come to him right now in your brokenness. And that's why he did it. Jesus was broken for you. But after supper, he poured the third cup. took that third cup, and this is going off script again. He took the third cup, and instead of saying the normal, traditional words, he took it in verse 20. Verse 20, he says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus took that cup, and when he drank it, He was telling them that he bled for us. He bled for us. The Passover looked back to the time of Moses, and in the time of Moses, God had made a great covenant, a great treaty, this agreement with his people. It was called the Mosaic Covenant after Moses, that God had written on these tablets how they were supposed to live. These tablets of stone, right? But it was prophesied through Ezekiel and Jeremiah that there would be a new covenant a better covenant than the one to Moses because now there would be a covenant not written on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. And it would not be um, following these outward laws but that God would transform us from the inside. That's what was prophesied. And Jesus is saying all those prophecies, I am establishing the new covenant today. And because this new covenant was a treaty, it had to be established by blood. The Mosaic Covenant was established. They slaughtered an animal, a bunch of them, so that their blood was shed 
because it had to be something costly in order to say, hey, this, this treaty, this agreement, is, this covenant is going on forever. So now Jesus is saying, it's, it's not going to be an animal that's slaughtered. It's going to be my blood shed to establish this covenant. He died to show that God is willing to pay the highest price to redeem you, to save you, to give you new life. Jesus is saying, my blood was shed for you, poured out for you. Jesus bled for us. Now, if you remember back at the the beginning, I said that there were four cups at the Passover feast. Up to this point, Jesus has taken three. There's the one that kind of kicks off the evening, and they tell the story of Egypt. There's a second one that kicks off the meal. The third one now, Jesus has made the cup of the new covenant. But what's interesting is that there is no mention at all of the fourth cup in the scriptures. This would have been the cup that kind of like finishes everything off. We take that cup, and then we're done with the meal, and we can start now celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread for the next seven days. It's a great vacation. It's time to spend with family and friends. We have no reason to doubt that Jesus would have poured that fourth cup. But no indication at all that he drank it. And I don't know if you've you've been out, if somebody gets a bottle of wine and they pour the last glass and they don't drink it, you're like, what are you doing? (laughs) Right? That's a little weird, right? It would have been really weird for them because this is tradition. And yeah, Jesus has changed some things, but that fourth glass, why, why hasn't Jesus taken the fourth cup and drank it? Now, this is my theory. But, but if you look very, in, in just a few verses later in Luke chapter 22, Jesus talks about another cup. So I think what Jesus did was he poured that last cup. And he said, okay, let's, let's done. He tells Judas, do what you're going to do. They never take that last cup. They never finish. Everybody's like wondering what, what's going on. But Jesus, that night in the garden, as he's praying, he cries out to God, knowing what's about to happen to him. And he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me but not my will but yours be done the cup he's talking about there is that fourth and final cup I believe because Jesus knew the cup he was about to drink was the cup of God's wrath Jesus drank God's wrath for us told him at the meal we're not going to share this cup of wine again until I come in the kingdom because he knew the fourth cup he was going to have to take was the cup of God's wrath. And that's what he did on the cross. Now some of you are like, wait, man, I thought God is a God of love, a God of compassion. How could he have anger and wrath? The reason why he has wrath is because he loves us. If you have seen some of the things going on in Ukraine this week and you're not angry... You don't have a heart. On Instagram this week, one of my friends shared a photo, and it was like, you can't view this image. I clicked to view the image anyways, because Russians had purposely bombed a maternity ward. That's an image that sticks with you. And when you see what's happening there, or the the children's hospital that they purposely bombed as they're trying to take out civilians, and women and children are being killed as collateral in war, If you're not angry, you don't have a heart. When God sees our sin, he is angry. How could you hurt each other? 
How could you hurt yourselves? I've created you in my image. I love you. He's angry at sin. He hates sin. But because he loves us so much, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to go on the cross and take that final cup of his wrath and drink it all down to its dregs. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced hell on the cross as the Father turned his face away. And he did it for us. So that when we put our trust in him, we don't have to face that. The judgment and punishment and anger that we deserve was put on him, on Jesus. And he took God's wrath in our place. Some of you are like, Matt, how, how could God be angry at my sin? It's not that bad. That's what Putin is saying right now. It's not that bad. It's war. It's deserved. The Russia propaganda machine is saying it's not that bad, right? Guess what? We're our own propaganda machine. What I did isn't that bad. Other people are worse. It's not really sin, is it? But it's sin. And God is angry about it. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that he took it for you. He suffered in your place. He suffered for you. Makes this a little more than just a simple ritual, doesn't it? And this thing we do once a month here at church, bread and cup, move on. Jesus purposely picked that Passover feast as his last meal. And he said, as he did it that night, do this in remembrance of me, to remember what I have done for you, that I experienced bitterness for you, that I was sacrificed for you, that my body was broken, my blood was shed, and that I drank God's wrath for you. And this is such good news because when we experience the bitterness of life, we know we have a Savior who knows exactly what we're going through, who gets us. So if you're suffering and struggling, dealing with depression, anxiety right now, Jesus gets you and he loves you. And when you have sinned, and maybe some of you have sinned greatly over the last week, Jesus was sacrificed for you to pay your penalty. When we know that there is brokenness in our lives and others, we know that Jesus was broken for us. And we know that his blood was shed for us to establish the new covenant in his blood. That we would be forgiven and be able to walk into freedom, into new life, and into eternal life ahead. Because Jesus took that last cup too. And took the wrath that we deserve upon himself. So that we would never have to be punished or face judgment or hell. But instead could enter into heaven and eternity with him. Jesus suffered for us in our place. Now, um, this is not before my time, but it was when I was like 12 days old. On August 16th of um, 1987, there was a plane that crashed right outside of Detroit. It took off from the airport. It was Northwest Flight 225. Some of you may remember this from Detroit. 
And the plane crashed immediately and killed 155 people like that. And as the emergency responders were sifting through the wreckage and they thought everyone had died, they saw an arm move. It was a four-year-old girl. And she had minor burns on her and, and some issues. They rushed her to the hospital and they were able to, to help her and, and she's still alive today. A little girl named Cecilia. And when they asked Cecilia, like, how did you survive this, cr this plane crash that killed 155 people, everyone else on the plane? She said as the plane was going down, her mom got out of her seat, picked her up, wrapped her body around her so that when the plane crashed, she took all of the burns of the crash upon herself to save her daughter. What Jesus did on the cross was that for us. He took the flames of hell for you so that you could live. So we're going to take communion together right now. If you look on your seats, there's one of those communionables. If you're online, I want you to get a bread and cup and pause just for a second so you can come back and take this together as a church family. And I know we took this last week, but it's going to mean something different this week, isn't it? It really is. And I want us to take a moment to get right with God based on what Jesus did on the cross for us. And there's some of you that need to do this for the first time. To experience God's forgiveness that was purchased for you in the death of Jesus Christ and his suffering for you. So I want everyone to close their eyes right now. And there's maybe some of you right here, you're, you're a follower of Jesus right now, but this message spoke to you. You needed this today. You needed God's forgiveness. You needed to know that he loves you in, in his son, Jesus Christ. If that's you, if you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus with eyes closed, could you just put your hand in the air right now? I want to be able to pray for you and bless you. Lord God, these people who have been moved today, I pray that you would just come into their heart to show them that you love them and have compassion for them where they're at, that you have forgiveness no matter how bad they've sinned, that you love them so much that you sent your own son, Jesus, to die for them, and that they would be able to accept that today afresh. Now, with eyes closed, there may be some of you in here who have never accepted God's gift of forgiveness purchased for you in Jesus Christ. And if you're ready, if you felt moved today and you're saying, wow, I need that forgiveness in my life, I need to know that I won't face that wrath, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And what we do here is if you're already a follower of Jesus, repeat this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. So would you please repeat after me? Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. I accept your gift of forgiveness. I accept your gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and serve you till I die. Now with eyes still closed, on the count of three, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus is now your Lord and Savior, I want you to shoot your hand up into the air so we can celebrate with you. One, two, three. Raise that hand high if you accepted Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Let's, let's welcome those people into the kingdom. If you're online, go to risedenver.com slash follow. We just want to encourage you. Lord God, we are so grateful that your son Jesus 
came to live among us in our place and then to suffer and to die for us. We thank you, we praise your name, and we're grateful that you save every single one of us the exact same way. Not by what we do, but what you have done for us in our place. Lord God, we worship you, and right now we stand to praise your holy name together. Amen. Okay, we're going to take communion together. I said before we stand up, we're going to take communion together. I'm getting ahead of myself. So take that bread first, unwrap that out of that top portion. Because the Lord Jesus, on that last night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me Lord God we proclaim your death until you come again we are grateful for what you did for us and we want to remember that not just today but every day of our lives. We want to live a life of remembrance for what you did for us in our place. Thank you, God, for allowing your son to be our final sacrifice, the Passover lamb. And we praise you. Amen. Would you please stand together as we sing this song in remembrance? If you are here and you need prayer for anything, we're going to have the prayer team in the back. We'll be available to pray for you about anything. Just come right back now during this song, and we would love to pray.